Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of St. Matthias Anglican Church in Katy, Texas. Today's sermon was delivered by Father Jason Grote. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Normally, on this 21st Sunday after Trinity, we focus ourselves on the armor of God and the spiritual warfare in which we are engaged. If you pay attention to our hymns this morning, you'll note that almost all of them have to do with this topic. Lead on, O King Eternal. Am I a soldier of the cross? Stand up, stand up for Jesus. And it is common, since it's the one time a year when we read from Ephesians chapter 6 about putting on the full armor of God, that pastors would preach on this subject. And I've done that for the past several years. But alas, we also have another passage on this same day in our gospel lesson that often goes overlooked for the sake of the spiritual armor. And that lesson is the healing of the nobleman's son from the Gospel of St. John in chapter 4. And so this morning I want to turn our attention to that story. St. John records for us that Jesus had come again into Cana of Galilee. Now we started reading at verse 46b, which means halfway through, and it doesn't state that for us, but the first part of verse 46 does. Jesus had gone from Cana of Galilee, where he turned water into wine, down to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. There he cleansed the temple for the first time, and then he headed back towards Cana of Galilee. And Cana was near his hometown of Nazareth, up in the north country, above that even of Samaria. Judah was in the south, and there was Samaria, and then there was Galilee even further north of that. And thus it was that on his return from Jerusalem to Cana, John would also record that Jesus meets the woman at the well in Samaria in the beginning portion of our chapter because he traveled right through Samaria on his way back to Cana. And when he finally arrived, John launches into the second miracle in this region. And I won't say that it was the second miracle in total because John tells us that while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover, he did many miracles. So this can't just be the second miracle we're reading about, but the second miracle in that region of Cana of Galilee. The first, of course, being the most infamous miracle of turning water into wine at the wedding. And starting in verse 47 of John chapter 4, we read that when Jesus had come again into Cana, a certain nobleman came unto him. A nobleman. Well, what is that? Well, the word is actually related to that of the word for a king. Wycliffe translated the word as a little king. Other translations have it as a royal officer. And either way, the point is that this is a man of importance. This is a man who has the weight of the empire behind him. This is a man that has means and he has people at his disposal. Yet he's not just a nobleman, but he's also a father. For we're told that his son is sick at the point of death. And as a father, he searches out the one who might be able to help. No other doctors have been able to help, else he would have paid them to fix his son. But this Jesus, well, it's likely that the nobleman knew of him, 
or at least heard of him, precisely because of Jesus' trip to Jerusalem at the Passover. As I said just a second ago, chapter 2 of John tells us that many people believed in Jesus because of the miracles that he did in Jerusalem. And reports of him certainly went back with all of the pilgrims who had gone up for Passover. Thus, this nobleman, upon learning of Jesus' arrival in Cana, would, would, would humble himself to come and seek of Jesus a cure for his son. And at this point, he's not necessarily to be perceived as a man of stature and power, as one who might order or even pay or perhaps bribe Jesus to come, but as a humble father seeking whatever recourse he can to help his son. Jesus, please come down. My son is at the point of death. He had come from Capernaum. And according to Google, it's 16 miles from Capernaum to Cana. Most commentaries say, however, that based on the roads back then, it was more about 25 miles. Now, to us, that's just a hop and a skip and a jump. I mean, I drove 10 miles from my house to get to church today, and I did it in about 15 minutes. Some of you drove further than that, 20, perhaps even 30 miles. But in New Testament times, we all know that 16 or or 20 or 25 miles would be much more. It would be, at the very minimum, a full day's journey. I mean, we even see this in John's record. When the nobleman asked his servant when the child was healed, his servant said, yesterday at the seventh hour. That means yesterday at 1 p.m. when Jesus speaks with this man. So you can see that even the father didn't make it home until the next day. And actually, the man wasn't even home when that interplay happens with his servants. The servants apparently headed out once the child was healed, and they met him on his way. So this request to the nobleman for Jesus to come down, well, that was a big ask. It would be at least a day down, and at least a day back. But it also provides some more perspective on the father, because his response to Jesus' word is pretty admirable. And one part of our example and exhortation today. Continue to think about this from that fatherly perspective for a moment. From that parental perspective. This man seeks Jesus. He goes at least two days, if not three days, away from his near-death child. At least one day up and another day back. In a last-ditch effort to try and to help him. The man finds Jesus. Jesus sort of dismisses him in a way with his words. And then Jesus says to him, he lives, go thy way. And the man believes him. And he goes. Do you think there was some doubt there? Do you think he thought to himself, how do I know? How do I know what Jesus said was true? I mean, there were no phones. There was no reaching in his pocket for a quick speed dial. Hey, honey, is little Jimmy doing all better? I just want to verify before I head back that way. The nobleman could have stayed in Cana with Jesus, sent a servant to go and to come again with a report as to whether it was true or not. And if it were not, then the nobleman could have confronted Jesus about it. But again, that would be another multi-day turnaround. And if he goes and Jesus isn't correct, then all hope would be lost. There would be no coming back to Jesus again. And I could maybe see this man hurrying along in his journey to get back, saying to himself, I sure hope 
Jesus was right. I sure hope Jesus was able to do what he said. And maybe as that doubt and that questioning seemed to take root a little bit more with each step further away from Jesus and towards his son, the thoughts permeate a little deeper in himself. Maybe I should have stayed with Jesus. Maybe I should have pressed him just a little bit harder to come with me. Or maybe I should have brought my son on the journey to Jesus. And then Jesus could have touched him and I'd be sure that he was actually healed. Now, we're not told any of that in the scriptures. But we know it from our own experiences, don't we? Having to trust in only a word and not with physical verification. Having to move in a particular direction with only a step of faith into the unknown. Having to make decisions without 100% assurance that it's going to turn out the way that we hope it does. And actually, experience tells us that oftentimes it doesn't. I mean, we want it to go one way, and the Lord says, nope. But then we have hindsight, which I think is God's gift to us, to say, see, I'm God, I know what I'm doing. So I can see this vaunted and proud-looking nobleman on the exterior, yet this broken-souled father on the inside as he went back to his dying son. But this man believes... And without arguing with Jesus any further, he goes at Jesus' word. And what he believed, and his response to that word, was not in vain. For as the servants say when they come and meet him on his way, your son lives. And it occurred at the same time that Jesus spoke his word. And there is certainly a lesson in that. In following the example of this nobleman, in going our way at the word of Jesus. When the man first approached Jesus, Jesus said, except you see, you will not believe. And the man ends up leaving, believing without seeing. And Jesus will even circle back to this again in John chapter 20 when he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The question we ask is, do we have to see to believe? Does God have to accomplish our petition for us to embrace his faithfulness? Does God have to prove himself first to us for us to believe in the power of his word or in the power of his promise? And that's all attached to the greater lesson and witness of this passage, which is really the basis for a belief without seeing. And that is the faithfulness and power of Jesus' word. If Jesus says it, it can be done. If Jesus promises it, it will be done. This is the second miracle recorded by St. John in detail. And it's surrounded by two other miracles in John's Gospel. The first was the wedding where Jesus turned water into wine. And then there's also the third one in the next chapter where Jesus heals the infirmed man at the pool of Bethesda. And what we find is that these first three miracles are all accomplished simply by a word. Jesus doesn't touch anything. Jesus doesn't mess with anything. Jesus doesn't go to the purification pots at the wedding and put his finger in the water. Nor does he lay a hand on the infirmed. Nor does he go on this journey. Jesus simply speaks a word, and it's done. And later in John, we see that he has power even over death by his word. He'll stand at the grave of the deceased Lazarus, and he'll say, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man comes again to life and walks out of the grave. 
Beloved, there is power in his word. Power over creation. Power over health. Power over life. Power over death. And we must take to heart the power of that word. We trust in that word. We act in accordance with that word. We find peace in that word. For it is not the word of a mere man, but it is the word of our Savior, the very Son of God. We pray that God's Spirit has spoken to you and blessed you today through this sermon. If you would like to learn more about St. Matthias Anglican Church, you can visit us on the web at www.stmkaty.org.